The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Today's show is sponsored by Baker Hughes, who recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. As an energy technology company, they strive to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people and the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Permian Perspective Podcast. And so it is a pleasure to be here with you all today. I want to thank, of course, I want to thank Jason and Jim and Silver for inviting me to be the moderator and our fantastic guests who are with us today. Special thank you to Wayne Christian, the commissioner of the Texas Railroad Commission, and also Todd Staple, the president of Texas Oil and Gas Association. So gentlemen, thank you so much for being our special guests today. Thank you. Glad to be with you. We also want to thank the 39 participants who are watching. So hello, 39 participants. I know we're going to see that number grow here over the next hour. And before we get started, I do want to send it over to Jim DeSotel, who is the president of the PBAP, and also to Jason Wolf, who will be giving a few remarks before we get started. So gentlemen, take it away. Thank you, Krista. So I just wanted to thank everyone for joining us today. We have two excellent panelists that will be answering some questions that are relevant to the oil and gas industry. The Permian Basin Association Pipeliners, thanks everyone for joining. We thank all our members for being so supportive of our organization over the last couple of years. We've done some really good work in community outreach, scholarships. Our chairman, Jason Wolf, will be speaking about that. Actually, after the, the panelists have spoke after our Q&A, Jason's going to close out with some comments about some of the activities that have taken place over the last couple of months and some of our, our future future things that we want to be doing for 2020. So I just want to thank you all again for, for joining. And I want to turn it back to Krista and we can get moving with the, the panelists and some of the questions. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Jim. First of all, I want to let everyone know how we're going to do this. We're going to first do a few questions that have been sent in to us from the members, from the board. We also will be then taking questions at the very end. We want to let everyone know that this session will be recorded. So yes, everything you say is recorded. <laughs> and we also want to let you know that you can ask questions in the Q&A. If you look at the bottom there, there's that Q&A section. We're going to use that rather than the chat. That's a way for you to participate and ask us questions after we've had a chance to talk and have a wonderful conversation with Commissioner Christian and with Mr. Staples. So I just wanted to also do a little more housekeeping. If everyone can mute, unless you're speaking, I would really appreciate it. That would be wonderful. And I just want you to sit back, relax, enjoy this wonderful conversation and know that we are all in this together. We all have really wonderful roles that we all play in the oil and gas industry. And we are all essential. You are essential. And we are just all in this together. And we are going to gather some fantastic information today from our panelists. And once again, we'll be opening it up to your questions at the very end. So without any further ado, gentlemen, you're ready to get started? You bet. Okay, fantastic. First, I've got to read a little bio so we can get to know you a little bit better. Our first guest is the Railroad Commissioner and current chairman, Wayne Christian. Christian is a lifelong businessman, and he was elected as our 50th Texas Railroad Commissioner in November of 2016. Since taking office, Commissioner Christian has been appointed by Governor Greg Abbott, 
to the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission as the official representative of Texas. Christian graduated from high school as valedictorian. See, I knew you were smart. You you said otherwise earlier. So well, he was three of us and we just draw them for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the valedictorian, went on to graduate from Stephen F. Austin with a BBA in general business. Fun fact, I love this. After college, Commissioner Christian found success in the music industry with his country gospel band, Mercy the Mercy Boys, and went on to be a finalist for a Grammy Award in 1979. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome with a round of applause in your home. Just put your hands together. There you go. Commissioner Wayne Christian, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Honored to be with you. Thank you. Our other guest today, very special guest, is Todd Staples. He was named president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association in November of 2014 as president of the state's oldest and largest trade association representing the industry, Staples has focused on expanding Texoga's presence as the go-to source for reliable and credible oil and gas information. After graduating with honors from Texas A&M, Gigum, he also went on to have a career at on the Palestine City Council where he was a successful businessman and rancher. A very proud family man, Todd and his wife Janet, split their time between Austin and Palestine. Thank you so much for being with us, Mr. Staples. Great to be with you. Thank you. Is it okay if I call you Todd? Absolutely. And Chairman Christian? You bet. Okay. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for being with us today. Before we ask you some questions, we were wondering if you could each highlight the role that RRC and the Texoga plays, maybe giving us some background information on the organization's relationship with oil and gas. Chairman? Well, of course, the Texas Railroad Commission was proud and, and, and great for the state of Texas and world long before I came along. It's over 150 years old. It is the Forbes magazine. I think it's a good Texas comment that I brag about all the time. It says, beyond doubt, the Railroad Commission of Texas is the most respected regulatory agency for oil and gas on planet Earth. And that's Forbes magazine. And it's because of a lot of good work of folks that came way before me. The neat thing about the Railroad Commission of Texas, I believe, is that it has done things different and become more respected because it values the individuals, the folks that are the roughnecks, the people that went out there that that tried to drill a hole in the ground with their last dollar and invested those dollars. And we've always treated, seems like the guys that were trying and gals that were trying to risk it and do the work, we trusted business people. And we trusted the people out there that tried to do it. Now, once they discovered it, the oil, we regulated it, made it safe, have watched over it carefully, but we've opened it for the free market system in America to do what it's supposed to do. And we, I think, kept our hands as far back to controlling what business does in Texas, which is very different from states such as California and others where government has tried to tell everybody how to do their job. And I think the best thing government can do is stay back and make sure and keep the public safe, watch the bad actors. And I think you'll find the Railroad Commission of Texas historically has played that part. Fantastic. Thank you. And Todd? Thanks, Christy. Good morning, Chairman Christian. Morning. Hope you're well today. Good day yesterday at the commission hearing. I appreciate your leadership and all the commissioners for the good work you guys are doing. The Texas Oil and Gas Association celebrated its 100-year anniversary last year, and really it's the story of oil and gas is the story of Texas. At Texoga, we're very fortunate to represent every sector of the industry. We represent the members who produce in excess of 80% of our state's crude oil and natural gas. 
we represent over 80% of our state's refining capacity, a vast majority of our state's pipelines, our service companies that are out there making things happen are members of Texoga. We focus on four primary areas, legislation, regulation, judicial affairs, and then public affairs. And we have a variety of programs. We have a workers' compensation safety group because safety is the number one issue. We're in the oil and gas business, but I think everyone's in the safety business. Whether yes. you're on the roads, you're on site, on location, safety is number one. And we appreciate the importance that our member companies place on safety. We're glad to be a part of Texas. We think that if you're going to invest anywhere in the world, you want to invest in the Lone Star State. And, you know, when we think about the current demise that we're in today, we know that Texas is well positioned to lead out of this. The commission yesterday took strong actions. Chairman Christian had many recommendations, as did Commissioner Craddock. And we're excited about the direction that we're going. And we're glad to be partners with all of you in that progress. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for that. And thank you for all that you do. First of all, there's been, of course, you know, there's been a lot of talk about production curtailments and with the vote yesterday. What are the key takeaways from these discussions? And does it change how companies will approach their operations in the future? And perhaps maybe even we could start with what is proration and why it could be useful. Maybe even when was the last time the state enacted limits and how would it be enforced? So whoever wants to take that one away first. Well, of course, we were asked by two companies, basically, to uh, consider proration. And basically, that's just limiting the production of oil that, that we could produce in the state of Texas. And we had not done that in some 50 years. It was used back when, the last time we used it was back when Texas was producing 20, 25% of world oil production. So when we made a cut in Texas, that would be significant worldwide. As we looked into it, and I started looking at the, the requests that came in, most of the requests during a 10 and a half hour, basically town hall style type meeting that we did on Zoom, much as we're doing the meeting today, we had literally around 30, almost 30,000 participants watching from, I think, 160 plus countries in 49 states. And I think it was quite historic in open government, open input from people, both every venue. And the proration itself, most of the motions that were made, including the requesting two companies, were that Texas basically not going along, that we make arrangements with other states to prorate because we right now are 40% of the national production of oil and gas. And so if we did it just alone, well, what keeps the other states under control to do that? And it was this mystical faith that we're just going to cross our fingers and hope. Didn't feel real secure to me to do that. So I called IOGCC, where I'm the member, as you mentioned, talked to some of my friends in North Dakota, and even talked to the Minister of Energy in Canada, Vancouver, Canada, and uh, called around and, and just found that we were not going to get participation from them. So the actual request is made by multiple people to enact proration was not fulfilled. Nobody else was going to jump on board with us. And so with that in itself, even by their own motions or requests, we did not meet their standard. And so I immediately, after that 10 and a half hour meeting, called Todd up and I said, uh, I think we need as the industry, as the regulatory body, to know what the industry who built the greatest oil and gas industry in the history of planet Earth, which is Texas, who is producing 40% of the national. I mean, Texas can brag every way you want to. We are the energy capital in the United States. And I said, 
since y'all did the job building the industry, aren't y'all the ones that should come up with the right answers to fix it? And Todd jumped on board, and he can tell you a little bit of what he put together. But they yesterday came as a task force before us with recommendations, in fact, about four dozen recommendations for not only the Railroad Commission, the legislature and other agencies of government. I immediately then released that report, a request of the different associations to our staff, and they went through the Railroad Commission to see which they could appropriate, which they could do, which they felt were right. And yesterday, the commissioners voted to adopt by three to nothing the recommendations of Todd's task force. And so I appreciate Todd for leading out, and he he led in that, and I'm sure can tell you some in the program, some of the recommendations they made and that we have implemented at the Railroad Commission. Well, I think I'm getting a little too much credit, Chairman Christian. We've had a great team, obviously, that came together. And let me say this, for those that are in the oil and gas business, we all recognize the, the extreme catastrophic circumstances that are taking place. And I think that's why Chairman Christian challenged the industry to step forward, to really come together. And, you know, the industry, there was a difference of opinion on proration, obviously. But the good news is on this Blue Ribbon Task Force that Chairman Christian challenged us to, to come up with, we came together and had differences of views on proration. And as far as Texoga and our association, we have members that have different opinions on the, on the matter. But a vast majority of our members, we came to the conclusion that it was not right for Texas. It didn't fit. It would do more damage than good. I kind of think applying proration to this current crisis that we're in is like putting a 1950 tire on a 2020 model sports car. It doesn't fit. It wouldn't be a safe ride. And it's going to cause more problems than good in this modern day environment that we operate in. Innovation and technology is what has enabled us to be the energy capital of the world. And we need to maintain that philosophy as we work through these issues. The Blue Ribbon Task Force actually did that. As Commissioner Christian said, over four dozen recommendations. And it was not exclusive to the Railroad Commission. It looked at things at TCEQ. We appreciate the leadership of Commissioner George P. Bush at the General Land Office and the things that the Land Office has done. We appreciate University Lands working with industry. We added some additional ideas that for them to think about. We appreciate the leadership of Controller Glenn Hager at the controller's office. We think there's some more work that can be done there. Some of the trade associations work at the federal level at Texoga. We try to focus our work in Texas. If anybody wants to go to DC, I say, go, go, please go. I don't want to. The folks in DC will smile at you and nod, but nothing ever good happens. It seems like in Texas, we roll up our sleeves and get the, get the work done. But we did include that at the federal level as well to create liquidity to work with FEMSA and to do some things. And so as I look at the work that's done here, this is just the beginning. This recovery process is going to take a while, unfortunately. The forward contract for WTI is actually in the positive ranges. It was been in the upper 20s. I mean, it's been over 20, not in the upper, but over 20s, which has been a good signal. But we've got a long way to go. May and June are going to be choppy months. Our goal in this Blue Ribbon Task Force was to get employees in their jobs and to help employer, employers to be able to survive through these difficult circumstances. So we've got a ways to go, but we want to continue to get your idea. 
we know that members of the Permian Basin pipeliners have given ideas to the task force. We appreciate those. We want this to continue because this is going to be an ongoing process. The commission did take strong actions yesterday. I think, Mr. Chairman, you and Commissioner Craddock's motions, I think there were over nine items that looked like to me that you immediately put into action. I know y'all been thinking about these. It's nice when industry can agree to, and then because we know that they can use these tools then to go to work, to keep people in their jobs and to get the industry to rebound much quicker. But I'll say one thing and I'll stop. No filibustering here, I know. And you're <laughs> so, you know, the, the thing we need more than anything to get this industry back on its feet is to get our economy going. Mm-hmm. There is no substitute for consumers going about their daily lives You know, and so that's what's needed. Governor Abbott is focused on that. We appreciate that. The president is focused on that. We have to do it in a safe way. But the only thing that's really going to help is to get this economy moving. Todd, thank you for that. And and thank you for the great car analogy. That was great, too. It is wonderful to see the industry working together. Tell us what why you think it's important for synergy, for multiple trade groups, for oil and gas to come together. Well, because we need the view of, of everybody. This is not a one-size-fits-all problem, neither would the solution be. And I think our Blue Ribbon Task Force led by Todd was was very good to come and say, we're really concerned about those companies that are producing a thousand barrels a day or less. It's, I hate to say the little guys, these are strong, small strong companies, but indeed we were concerned that there were some rules we needed to relax at the, at the commission that allow the safety to continue, the protection of the public to continue, but at the same time, back off for at least one year and let us get through this downturn and hopefully we can review that at the end of that time and so i think we put a one-year time lock on these policies that we had drawn back quite frankly to reduce income to the railroad commission to our budget which why doesn't government suffer at the same time as the the industry or the citizens do and so we're, we're matching trying to, to address these issues one time but we we have backed off of those fees of regulations and i think that that right now is, is the first step to make the big picture on this is I think unlike the solutions that I think have been handled sadly, sometimes wrong, is when government comes in and says, we have all the answers and you do this, you do that, and you do this. We handled it, I believe, in Texas at the Railroad Commission. It was a historic time yesterday. We showed that government went to the free market, to the industry, to the people, again, who had put this strong system together. And we said, where can we assist you where can we get out of the way? Uh, where can we come in and regulate to accomplish more purposes so that the free market can again accomplish what it always, 100% of the time has, success better than government? And I think this is, the, this is a real question in our society today. Do we want socialism with big brother government in the United States as is being proposed today politically? Or is it best to go to the system I believe our founders gave us in this country. It's a free market economy that indeed nothing's free. I understand that. But the answer always seems to come better from allowing government to support industry rather than government be the dictator to the industry. I think that was established as just the overall philosophy. And quite frankly, I think the markets needed a certainty yesterday. It was, we went into that meeting with some proposing we not make a decision. We just not talked about the proration issue. I, as being a stockbroker for about 30 plus years and a banker, understand that one of the hardest things the market deals with is uncertainty. 
And I thought, I thought it was only appropriate that we take a vote yesterday on this specific time to say yes or no to proration. And yesterday we did two to one vote to not consider proration in this particular instance. I think that gave certainty the market. And I'll brag the oil and gas, the West Texas oil went up after we had our meeting, and I'll take credit for that one. <laughs> It's all, it's always nice to see it go up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, you charged the task force with developing a report on flaring by June 16th. What's the idea behind the report? Well, it was a request, not a charge. Okay. It was a request. But the thing is, is what I've seen earlier before this downturn ever happened, and this is a separate almost situation from the, the flaring issue, but we did the study. The commission found that actually less than 2% of the produced gas right now is being flared. But that's a heck of a lot in Texas, mostly because of a whole nother discussion of how we mishandled our Green New Deal and the Al Gore challenge that oil and gas is something terrible and that's been allowed to be on the mind of our public, I think falsely. And I think we have some covering ourselves and some new offense we need to take on acquainting the public of what actually oil and gas and coal and fossil fuel have done to make us the strongest, greatest country in history. That, that needs to be sold. The flaring issue on Wall Street was stopping financing from coming to many of our producers in the state of Texas. So it wasn't the fact of flaring was bad, as bad as the perception is killing us. And right now, I think you'll see one of the big problems in this downturn, different from many of our other downturns, is when we went into the last downturns, the banks were rather strong. The companies were rather strong. What we're seeing right now are potential bankruptcies, some bankruptcies, the largest downturn in stock values by our major producers. So our industry is weak financially. Banks are really highly committed to our industry. So they're hurting right now. So the financing is going to be very critical going back into the recovery here. And because it's in danger, I felt, again, that we should give a certainty to the market to know how to build it. And the flaring issue was harming us by the perception on Wall Street to those investors who normally have funded our banks and have been funded, funded with their limited partnerships, with their investments in our exploration and funding. That was being challenged then. And I think we need to give certainty to the market again that we're going to address the flaring issue. Gentlemen, you mentioned perception. Why is it so important that the industry develops a communication strategy to win over the general public? I jump in here on this. You know, you mentioned earlier as well, why is it important for industry to be cohesive in our thinking? If you think about the attacks on modern day oil and gas, the very components that provides fuel for our cars, provides power for our homes, oil and natural gas components are used in 96% of the products that consumers use each and every day. And so I think communicating this message and coming together to find solutions is, is a responsibility that we have as an industry. When we're divided, I think the public doesn't listen to us as much, but when we can come together, like we did in the Blue Ribbon Task Force, to say these are good solutions that will not negatively impact health, safety, or environment, but there are operational flexibility so that we can keep people in their jobs, I think then we see responses from that. Hopefully the proration issue, whether regardless of what side of that issue you happen to be on or you hadn't made your mind up, that is set aside now. And now we can move forward. And we need to be thinking about ways to best communicate to the public 
what it is we're doing. And it's about life. It's about the quality of life, the best quality of life in the world, the most opportunity for advancement because of reliable, affordable, safe energy supplies. And when we think about our environment, this industry has actually spent more money than other sectors of our economy and the private and the government combined. Oil and gas has done more to improve our air quality. Air quality is being proved around the globe today because of clean natural gas that is displacing other forms of energy. And that natural gas is being produced right here in the Lone Star State. So we need to take advantage of these opportunities and it is an educational process to do just that. Our industry is committed to reducing methane emissions and flaring. That's why we started the Texas Methane and Flaring Coalition. You can actually go to our website, texasmethaneflaringcoalition.org, I believe it is. And that is comprised of dozens of individual companies and many different individual trade groups. And Chairman Christian, when you gave us to, to bring back ideas to the commission, you did say August the 16th, not June. Is that right? <laughs> we, we need some presentation. And really, Todd, I think we need to send a message to the public that we are addressing the issue. I think it's the most important point. Yeah, and we are. And, I, and you did say June 16th. I want you to know that you really <laughs> put the pressure on us because we're, we're actually meeting every week. But the leaders of the task force and I got together. We talked about the best way to do that. We're going to use the coalition because that's in the works right now. We're challenging the coalition to maybe expedite their schedule a little bit more because we agree with you. We do need to demonstrate we're committed to these reductions. Unfortunately, I mean, there's good news and bad news, right? Methane emissions and flaring will be down in 2020. Yes. All reasons is because we're not out there drilling new wells. We're not doing these kind of things. We think it's important for the industry to demonstrate in good times and in bad, we're committed to environmental progress. And so we will be working diligently to come up with ideas. And look, the public needs to understand that you flare for safety reasons sometimes. A lot of times that's the reason. Sometimes flaring is necessary because as a producer, there may be trouble on down the line that is out of your control. And so we want to find the right balance. We want to find the right definitions. And we want to be partners in developing these solutions. You know, and I appreciate that, Todd, the the thing is, is, again, I believe the industry should have the answer for how to best do this, not the government regulators. So I think we should support you. The thing, let me, let me real quickly support you on, on what I think we have not told the public about. One thing that was interesting in looking, and I just Googled this, so it's got to be right. <laughs> Google says. About, it's a, they're using this time to say, okay, this would be a great time with the oil and gas market in problems and down to replace it with wind and solar. This is a great time to do that. And you go through the statistics of the impossibility of that and what it would take. And the Green New Deal, whose author laughed at and said this was great. The oil and gas families were all out of jobs and moms and dads couldn't make a living. I thought how heinous for a Congress person to say such a thing. But you look at the number of electric cars say, that they want to move to instead of gas and diesel. Right now, there's approximately one million electric vehicles on the roadways in the United States. There are 285 million gas and diesel trucks and automobiles on the roadways. They want to stop oil and gas right now? Well, they'll be walking a lot of places and they will not see groceries coming to their communities, nor anything else. 
Secondly, they were talking about the, the electric generation or the power. Let's turn to windmills and solar panels now, clean energy, instead of these terrible fossil fuels. 98% of the electricity that's being used in these United States is coming from oil, gas, and nuclear energy. Less than 6% from windmills and solar panels. So if you shut down fossil fuels right now, guess what? There'll be blackouts in every city and many small towns across the United States. The answers they have, I think the, the citizens don't understand. Let me give you another stat from the, from the director of the Environmental Protection Agency. Since 1970, every poisonous or bad gas that's been identified by the EPA is now has been reduced by 73 plus percent. And as you look at it, for 30-something years, we have decreased by 73% every poisonous gas they've identified. So guess what the most successful industry in the history of the world is in cleaning the environment? The fossil fuel, oil, and gas industry. And are we bragged on being the most successful people in cleaning the environment? No. And I think that's the thing that the public has, needs to be educated to, is that if you want to clean the industry... If you want to clean the world, use the industry that's done the most cleaning, and that's oil and gas. Thank you, Chairman Christian. As you know, it's been a turbulent couple of months here in West Texas, and we understand everyone's dealing with it all over the world, but we feel like we have been hit with the perfect storm here and just kind of that double whammy. So what would you tell the hardworking Permian Basin workers as we turn the corner into summer? Can you offer any insights? You know, can you look at that that magic eight ball and tell us what's going to happen for the next six months? And what have you seen in the past downturns that give us some hope? Well, the thing I'll say is that the biggest heartburn that I have, indeed, I know that our large energy companies, international companies, we look at and indeed they're in a crisis, as is everyone in this entry. But my heartburn is for that mom and dad and the families out there that are out of a job. And that's what disturbs me most. And I feel my biggest heartburn, my, my commitment to is to do everything I can to put people back to work in this state. But as we've said in East Texas, you can't put lipstick on a hall. This is a horrible, ugly situation and people are hurting. I wish that weren't true. And I think what I commit, and I think we saw yesterday in the Railroad Commission, is that we are going to do everything with our 800 plus workers across this state. 15 regional offices have been instructed to communicate with Austin, Texas, the Railroad Commission office, and we've told industry, we've told our associations, the Railroad Commission is fully prepared, armed for war, ready to do whatever we're called upon that can bring relief as quickly as possible. One thing that concerns me about this, the whole whole problem we have is not somebody did something wrong who did that, unless it be China, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. The bad guys in this is just they have shut down world demand for oil and gas. We're dependent on that. And what's different in this particular downfall compared to the last is we have a worldwide shutdown of demand. And how quickly is that demand going to come back so we literally have something to fund? I mean, we've shut down flying and driving and everything in the world, not just the United States. I'm encouraged as the governors, uh, like Governor Abbott, have started releasing us out of our holds and our homes to see the roads are are filling back up a little faster than I think folks expected. The beaches are filling up faster. People are getting out. I think people have had as much of this huddle in my house mentality as possible. And it gives me encouragement to see that there's moves to quickly get life back to normal 
hopefully we'll see that. And that's, that's the hope is how fast get back to using oil and gas. And unfortunately, it's not going to be a rapid recovery. I think the months of May and June are going to be very difficult times for companies to continue to navigate through as the supply and demand continues to rebalance. As the economy moves forward, it will have improvement, but you have a buildup of supply that has to be worked through. You have to work through all the excess supply because demand shut down, supply kept going, and so you have to work out that difference. And that's what's going to happen probably throughout the remainder of 2020. But here's the good news. If you're going to be anywhere else in the world or in any other state, you want to be in the Lone Star State to ride out this storm. And the reason has been demonstrated yesterday at our Railroad Commission by looking at ways for flexibility. If you look at our tax policy in Texas, lawmakers attempt to make it as fair as possible. Sometimes it gets out of balance and they have to rein that back in. But we have more freedoms, we have more opportunity. And the reason that Texas is going to be a player in this recovery, and the reason that the Permian Basin is going to be on the front lines of this recovery, is because of infrastructure. If you think the geology that we have in the Permian Basin and the infrastructure that is there, if you look at the Gulf Coast of Texas where our refining capacity is, our ports are built up, we have LNG export capacity, and we have a tremendous midstream system that connects all of that together. We are well positioned to be a player for a long, long time. And our only limitations are ourselves. Our limitations are tax policy that drives people out of Texas. Oklahoma was in a pinch. They raised taxes on oil and gas, and those were the first areas to be abandoned when the market started getting tighter. This is a great lesson for policymakers that capital has feet. Investment can go anywhere in the world. Oil and gas can be found anywhere in the world. We want it to be produced right here in Texas. So a science-based regulatory policies, fair tax policies, and then continued commitment innovation and technology and our free market principles that has made Texas a hotbed of innovation and technology to become energy capital of the world. It's what cannot abandon during these times. Then we will see the good times come back again, but it is going to be a little bit of a process to get there. We definitely look forward to those days. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. Todd, you recently invited the PBAP to participate in the Texas Energy Day at the Capitol. Why is that event so important for our industry? Well, if you think about the Texas Capitol, it's the seat of government for our state. Chairman Christian has served in the legislature. I have legislators need to hear from their constituents. At any given day during the legislative session, there are literally thousands and thousands of people there expressing their viewpoints about what policy needs to be for their particular industry. Oil and gas has largely been silent there. We have done a fabulous job. Our men and women are just second to none in producing oil and natural gas. But we've kind of taken a back seat to telling our story. That's why Texas Energy Day at the Capitol is something that we need everyone to be a part of. We need every organization to be a part of. We need to get buses and cars and come and descend on the Texas Capitol. We're going to do that in February of 2021. You can go to texoga.org, T-X-O-G-A.org, and find out more information. But telling the story of oil and gas is essential. 
Because there are so many voices in our world today providing misinformation, providing false information that we need to be the one telling the story. And I'll tell you this, when you think about who Texans want to hear from, they would rather hear from men and women that are actually working in oil and natural gas telling their story. Our data indicates that that is a very credible source. You know your industry better than anyone. And so coming to Texas Energy Day at the Capitol is important. We do things like regional energy summits around our state, and we partner with organizations like Herman Basin Pipefinders to put those events on in different regions because we need to equip and empower energy employees. We have developed employee mobilization toolkit that we make available to companies to tell the story of oil and gas and make that available to their employees so they can participate. I hope everyone listening today will certainly be with us for Energy Day at the Capitol. We'll hear from our railroad commissioners. We hear from other statewide officials that come in. And then very importantly, you make visits to your state rep and to your state senator and tell them why you're proud of oil and gas and what oil and gas needs to be successful. Let me add something to that, Todd. As we both have been there, there's two charges I would add to that. When you go to the Capitol during that day and speak to your individual representatives and senators and governor and whoever you meet with, make sure you have specific requests, if you need them, to tell your representative, your legislator, whoever you meet with, and tell them, we appreciate you, and this is what we're needing. If there are needs you have, if there are specific needs we in our industry, and definitely we do, these are what we're specifically needing. Then the second part of that is go home and follow your local representative and senator and make sure they're addressing the issues you carried to them on that day. You know, it's it's too easy for me as a politician to talk to a group that shows up one day and say, man, I'm going to do that. And then if I never hear again, and if y'all go back to sleep, and I'm afraid too many times we as citizens don't actively participate and follow through to hold our elected officials accountable for what we ask them to do. So I think not only have purposes that you meet with them when you're there on Energy Day, have purposes you're shooting for, and go home and contact them consistently to say, hey, we asked you this, Representative Senator, have you been doing that? And I promise when the staffs of these representatives and senators start getting phone calls during the sessions saying, you got 10 calls this morning from the energy folks wanting to know that you follow through or whatever, that gets the attention and that gets action. Chairman, I have a request. Make make oil $80 a barrel again. Right. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You got the hat? Yes. <laughs> that would be, that's exactly would be the biggest help of all. One more quick thing on energy debt capital and to, and to follow up. You know, if you live in the Permian, you may think our, you know, Representative Craddock, Representative Landgraf, Senator Selyer, they all are on board and they're doing the right thing. And they are. But here's why this is important. Your neighbors and friends and relatives that live in Dallas, San Antonio, and other parts of the state, they don't understand that whether you live in the middle of the oil patch or not, oil and gas positively contributes to our daily lives because it funds our schools, it funds our our permanent university fund, it funds our permanent school fund, it funds our highway fund. So it doesn't matter where you live in Texas, oil and gas positively benefits you. And if you participate in this energy day at the Capitol, if you get the talking points and you don't have to worry, if you've never been to Austin, you're probably a great person and I salute you. But (laughs) we need you to come 
and we need to, we will give you the talking points. We will give you the issues, the leave behinds and work with you on that messaging. And then you need to carry that to your relatives all across the state who can be influential and who need to partner with you. Because think about it, this job, this is your ability to send your children to university of your choice, like Texas A&M or <laughs> any of our other good, fine quality schools in the state. This is your ability to you know, provide for your long-term needs. And it's being challenged. It's being threatened every day from the misinformation campaigns. At Texoga, we monitor about 60 different organizations whose mission is to put everyone on this call out of your job. I'm not making this up. Their mission is to stop oil and gas. And they're not bound by the truth. And so it's very important that we empower and we engage and we come together and work more cohesively than we ever have in the past in order to to chart a bright course for our, our industry. Thank you, gentlemen. I want to remind our members that we are going to be taking questions here in about 15 minutes. We have a few more questions. Right now, I just want to know, gentlemen, what is on the horizon for the next legislative session for oil and gas? And what are some of the topics that we can expect to hear? Well, of course, you know, oil and gas, I think we've, we've done a good job. Todd has done a good job with his organization. I've, I've tried since my, in my three years, I've been honored to be on the commission to acquaint my former legislative friends and the new over there of exactly as Todd has just expressed very articulately how important oil and gas is to the state of Texas. Many of our representatives and senators weren't really aware that one third of the retail industry in the state of Texas is either direct or indirect oil and gas. One out of every 10 jobs in the state of Texas. All of the rainy day fund, the emergency fund that's there for hard times is contributed by oil and gas that they rely on to make Texas different. And also when you look at, at government, understand there's only one bill the legislature has to pass by law and then they can go home and that's the budget. And so the budget is supremely important. If you Whatever you believe in, the way it's supported is by who gets the money and who doesn't. That's what the session is about. And so I, w- I went, as again, an old banker financial guy, I went in and found that for every dollar that the legislature funds the Railroad Commission, the return back to the state of Texas is $51. That's a $51 return. And my message to the legislators was to make them aware that we're able to be Texas, and Texas is different, and Texas has the ability to have these many programs and support all that's going on, largely because of God's given us oil and gas like no other state in the nation. And just to make them aware on Energy Day and at any other time that they're able to be legislators and go home and be happy and say, look at the good things we've done, largely for oil and gas. The challenge this session is to make them realize in the hard times we don't need to be left and abandoned as an oil and gas industry because this is the pilot, the engine that makes Texas different. And we don't need to let the gasoline run out as far as financing from the legislature. And I think that's a big challenge we have. And it's going to be impacted, right? Because this industry paid last year over $16 billion in state and local taxes and state royalties. That's over $44 million each and every day to fund our schools and to fund our roads and the other things. And so, when the legislature comes back, they're going to be sharp that they're going to be sharp because of the indirect, the multiplier effect that this industry has shown. And so funding is going to be a huge critical issue. 
And that's important because the commission is going to need additional funding based on what the industry pays in above and beyond that gets spread out to other agencies. And so funding of this agency is going to be a priority for the industry. We know that as we think about transportation needs, the legislature last session, we appreciate the governor, the speaker, the lieutenant governor, and the lecture, and particularly Chairman Craddock and Chairman Landgraf for helping to get $250 million allocated toward roads in the system that trucks run up and down on for safety issues, continue funding for TxDOT so that transportation funding is going to be there to meet the needs of the Permian Basin and all over Texas is going to be a big problem. We know that continues to be a legislative battle. We have a lot of produced water in the oil and gas business. We're watching legislation there to make certain that nothing adverse happens. We know that next session of the legislature eminent domain is going to be another big topic. Landowner groups have tried to make changes in the last few sessions. Oil and gas has actually come up with ideas to make changes to make certain of two things. We don't want to encourage litigation in Texas. A lot of the landowner ideas would have resulted in lawsuits that it would have been bad for everyone, or the legislation would have slowed down the ability to connect projects, thus hurting our state's economy and hurting jobs. So we know that eminent domain will be another topic. Industry is going to come together to help find solutions. We're, we're optimistic that we can all come together. You know, in a time of crisis like this, Texas should work together more than any other time. So eminent domain, water, transportation funding, and agency funding are big ticket items that everyone probably will want to pay close attention to. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, we have a question from one of our members. They have said this, you guys have been through a few downturns. What do you expect from the industry in terms of innovation and resilience that will come out of these lean times? I expect the same thing that industry always has done. And that's the, the beauty of America is technology innovative. The people having the guts, the willingness to place their dollars in a dream to know something's going to work. I mean, I'm already hearing it. Right now, I got a call day before yesterday that they're, these group have got together and they're starting drilling in Corpus Christi. They found these are great times. The prices are right. The opportunities are there. And so the entrepreneurs is what I have faith in. I have, that's it. I'm, you know, government in, is not the answer to the problem. It's those people, again, that are down in Corpus Christi right now drilling holes, putting business together, employing people at the worst time I think we've seen maybe in our lifetime of oil and gas. That's the energy. It's, it's the American dream. It's the American entrepreneurship. It's that person that's willing to take all they have, go out there and put it all on the line and get out there and get in the ground and do it. That's what I want to see encouraged. And that's my that's my vision. That's why I feel as an old, again, stockbroker, one thing you always say, what's the chances of this happening to invest? Well, I'll tell you, the history is 100% of the time, Texans have come back stronger, better, and a more technologically advanced, more efficient than when they had prior to a downturn. So hope is, I'm a total optimist on this, and it's not from just dreaming, it's the facts of history. And I think you'll see continued advancements in digital analytics, data analytics. You've seen how drones have been used to identify problem areas so they can go be quick, fixed quicker, more responsibly. I think you'll look at people looking at how do you get sand to the sites more quickly, more efficiently, and safer and looking for ways to come together to do that. I think you'll look at technology and using the associated gas on site. How can you capture that 
and put it for power generation more cost effectively. These are the types of things. And look, if we don't do these things, we're not going to be in business in the future because the world will pass us by. This is a global commodity. It's a very competitive environment. So technology and innovation is absolutely the answer. And these are some examples that we know that work is going on in, in, in including produced water and recycling of that water, reuse of that water. These are the types of things that will make us competitive and will keep people in jobs. And we have to make certain commission chairman Christians actually been a champion on workforce development and tying in how can we train this next generation of energy workers. And I think that is an area we have to focus on as well. That's our best resource, right, is our people. Mm-hmm. And we've got to continue to find ways to educate them, to make certain that education is available to them so that we can take advantage of the tools and use them effectively. Gentlemen, we have another question from one of our members. Is there a reason the U.S. doesn't consume its own energy and set its own prices? This would prevent market fluctuations created by foreign governments. That would have been the case, what, five, six years ago? Something has happened that a lot of people don't realize is we are no longer an importer of energy. We have become the number one exporter on planet Earth of energy. The LNG facilities that Todd was mentioning that are being built on the coast were originally built as receiving stations. We had to go in there and turn, turn that totally around and turn them to where we could export from there. And so what we were positioned as, the United States was the number one producer of oil and becoming a major exporter of oil and gas. And, of course, this downturn has crippled that as it is everything else. But that's the reason... Yes, we want to be as efficient as we can. I'm in for an idea of buy America first, make sure we're taking care of independently our storage other. Those are issues our federal government and the Railroad Commission can work with industry and working at. But the idea is our goal is not to just capsulize ourselves and juice only what we've got and only insert. Our goal is to open this thing up because the United States has already proven we're number one in the world. And I want to make a whole lot of money Instead of Vladimir Putin and the Saudis making all the money on this stuff, I want our friends to be able to buy American oil and American products and American LNG, American around the world. And so we want to be the salespeople for more money to come in than if we just capsulized ourselves to take care of our own tanks. So that's a different goal. And along those same lines, look, when oil was trading at negative prices here last month, shocking situation no one forecasted it why would anyone buy any other oil except wti that was trading negatively and getting paid to do it if you could just use wti so i think that it really points to the complexity of our refining system wti and lighter oils produce more gasoline when it's distilled what is it we have too much of right now we have too much gasoline So you have to have that blend of heavy oils and light oils. Interestingly, our data shows that 86% of the oil that was refined last year in the United States came from three places, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And so we are using North American energy to the fullest extent that we can, but there has to be a blend. And that's why we can't just simply use what we produce here and I've been watching this now as a policymaker for over 25 years. And I've always thought, why don't we just, you know, convert our refineries, right? And just use the oil that we produce here. 
First of all, it's very expensive. Secondly, other products come from different grades of crude. Therefore, you have to have those blends. And then finally, to the marketing aspect, it's kind of like the ice cream. Eat all we can and sell the rest. This is a global market. We've got to ship LNG overseas. Our refined products, we ship millions of barrels of refined products that are refined in Texas across the globe. And so it's a big world, and we've got to be a part of it from that context. Let me give you one example of that. You remember back when Donald Trump, President Trump, went to the first NATO meeting, and he jumped on the chancellor of Germany for doing this deal with a pipeline with Vladimir Putin to Russia. And he made a big issue of just right to her face, why are you paying the enemy for this, that, and other. Quite funny, a lot of people don't know, after he left, they stopped the pipeline with Russia. And the reason was President Trump knew that America was about to become the LNG export king of the world as we're working toward. So what is sad, and this is another irritant in my international deal, is that up in the Northeast, our brethren up in Massachusetts and other states up there Instead of using neighboring Pennsylvania oil because they won't allow the pipelines across, are importing about 10% or so of their natural gas from Vladimir Putin. And I'm thinking that if anything ever just ticked me off, that is unbelievable that these environmental extremists are having us use Vladimir Putin's gas instead of good next door neighbor natural gas. It's, you know, that's my pet peeve, okay, one of them. (laughs) Well, thank you, gentlemen. I know your time is precious. We are closing in on an hour of wonderful conversation, and I cannot thank you enough for your insight and for all that you do. I'd like to close out by asking my guests to tell me something good. So in your final parting words, tell me something good that we can look to in this time. Well, you know, whatever your belief, scripturally, you know, the Bible says, as, as you go through the valley of death, you will fear no evil. The word there is through. We've always promised in scripture and in American history and Texas history. There's never been a time we've gone through a challenge. You know, let me give you a quick, quick example I can use is World War One. how I think the good Lord and Texas ingenuity came to par to make the world a different place. World War One up near Eastland County was Ranger Field was discovered. And from Ranger Field, we sent the largest amount of oil and gas over to our troops in World War One, which was where they converted literally from horses to machinery during that. At the end, in the American Museum of Oil and Gas, is located a statement to Ranger Field in Texas, thanking them for the wave of oil from Texas that helped win World War I. World War II, I have a poster here of Winston Churchill. As we had the little incher and big incher from Kilgore, Texas, send 80% of the oil and gas to our allied forces in World War II. And Winston Churchill, infamous quote, I have on my wall that says, We won a sea of oil from East Texas. That was another great challenge in time. And we call that generation how they did responsible, the greatest generation. We're sitting here today with this challenge. And all of a sudden, what has good Lord given us? The largest discovery of oil in history from West Texas. And it's hard for me to believe those billions of barrels of oil and trillions of, of cubic feet of natural gas that the good Lord has given us that we're not going to be as responsible in Texas with a good Lord's gift as we have in the past. So I'm totally encouraged. It's a bad patch we're going through. But again, God gave Texas the opportunity to lead. And I think we'll, we'll step up to that challenge. Amen. I just want to 
close with a challenge to everyone that's listening and remind you that you can make a difference. You can make a difference in how this industry comes forward and goes forward in the next few decades and in the next few weeks, as a matter of fact. There's a saying in politics that if you don't have a seat at the table, you become a part of the meal. And you have to recognize that everything happens in Austin, whether it's at the commission, it's at the legislature. If you're not engaged, other voices are going to be heard. So I'd encourage you to participate. Thank you for this association for giving us a chance to visit today. Krista, thank you for guiding us through this process and asking us these thoughtful questions. But be a part of it, be engaged, and we look forward to seeing you at the Capitol and how you make that happen. Thank you so much. And thank you for sitting at our table today. Final question, Chairman, since you were a Grammy nominee, what's your favorite country song? Right now, it's a bluegrass song. Okay. It's, it's called, What Are You Going to Do With My Old Tattoo? And, <laughs> and, you can, and it's a great song, you know, because it's talking about divorce and the wife has her husband's last name on her tattoo. And the song is, <laughs> what are you going to do with my old tattoo? I think that's like, it's just my latest favorite song. Okay, That's great. I'm going to go, I'm going to go download it, listen to it today. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. We really appreciate your time and we cannot thank you enough for all you do. So thanks for being here today. We're going to turn it over to Jason Wolf now. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Kristen. I appreciate you leading this uh, great discussion today. And I'll just echo your thanks to Commissioner Christian and, and Mr. Todd Staples with uh, Texoga. We really enjoyed hearing about the nine action items that were approved yesterday. Absolutely enjoyed hearing about the vote also, unanimous in supporting our free market economy and, and supporting each company's ability to regulate their business in response to market conditions and not be regulated by the government agree wholeheartedly government's main mission is to support business and to allow us to succeed and, and we've seen that over uh, texas's great history i wanted to just say a few words about what your Permian basin association of pipeliners has been doing and this really is to address our 45 members on the line we've been busy and your officers and board members have been busy over the last several months we recently drafted a strategy document which you'll see come out to you shortly You'll hear about it uh, today briefly and then also in our June meeting. One of the items that we cover is our willingness to participate with Texoga in several of their great initiatives. And from hearing about Mr. Staples uh, leading the Blue Ribbon Task Force and how instrumental that was in yesterday's vote to the report that they're generating over the next five or six weeks on flaring here in the great state of Texas, we want to be a part of many of that organization's initiatives, and specifically in three areas. As you heard, Texas Energy Day coming up next February, and PBAP will be there in strength supporting that. Also supporting the Texas Oil and Gas Association Good Government Committee. We as a 501c6 are very interested in supporting committees such as that, and we'll be joining the forces there, as well as in supporting the Joint Association Trade Initiative, and we're excited about that. We're also going to follow Texoga's lead in several areas, such as providing insurance for our members. And in the June meeting, you'll hear from Dan Thompson from Epic, a good friend of PBAPs, as we launch that initiative. We also have a safety program initiative to improve training, tracking, and transparency. Three T's there mm -hmm. as uh, companies comply with CFR Part 195 and operator qualifications and proving processes, not to replace those, but simply improve those. And that will also provide a, a revenue stream to your PBAP. So we're excited about that initiative. 
what else have we been doing over the last couple of months? Well, as the downturn occurred in our industry with the pandemic, but also with the actions of Saudi and, and Russia, we've contributed over $13,000 to the community, to five different organizations that are providing PPE to area hospitals and clinics, we're providing meals to first responders and healthcare workers, to organizations that are active in the community and supporting those less fortunate than ourselves. We also, two weeks ago, in support of Earth Day, gave $2,500 to the Keep Odessa Beautiful 501c3 and $2,500 to Keep Midland Beautiful. And although we couldn't go out and join them in activities this year, we hope that as things open up and as we turn the corner to summer and into fall, we'll continue to support those organizations as they take care of our community. Finally, we're in the process of reviewing eight scholarship applications for STEM students who are pursuing degrees in the oil and gas industry, as well as five grant proposals that have come to us through area colleges and universities. And we'll be giving out over $100,000 in combination of those scholarship requests and, and grant proposals. And your officers and board members are reviewing those over the next couple of weeks. We'll have an announcement for you in June on how that went and who the recipients were. Finally, I'm going to end with something positive, and I'm just going to echo our outstanding guest remarks earlier, and that is we're a tremendous family of tremendous workers in this oil and gas industry, and we don't know quit, and we don't know fail, and we don't know no. So we are going to make this engine run again stronger than ever, and as the price of oil comes back up, encouraged to see that in part, I'm sure, because of the activities at the Railroad Commission yesterday. But as we see that in the mid-20s and, and headed towards the mid-30s and hopefully into the 40s again in the next three to six months, I'm excited to help join this. I'm really excited to help join this improvement in our industry and to see our folks getting back to work and to see that success that we've enjoyed for so many years here in the great state of Texas. So again, thank you all very much. Thanks for allowing me a few minutes to speak about our association and about the great work that we have in our future. And I hope you all have a great Wednesday. Thanks. Thank you so much. Have a good day, gentlemen. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in... Uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. 
Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.